Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. We're continuing in our Sunday morning series on the Beatitudes, and the title of the message this morning is The Manifestation of Meekness. Please enjoy. If you have your place in Matthew chapter 5, I'll invite you to stand one last time as we read the scripture. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And that word gentle in many other translations is the word meek. The title of the message this morning is The Manifestation of Meekness. The Manifestation of Meekness. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for giving us an opportunity to come into the house of God, to gather as your church as your people, as a called out assembly, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of the word of God today. Lord, may the word of God come into our hearts and change us, Lord, and may it grow in us so that we can mature, Lord, and get, be in a closer relationship with you. Thank you for all you've done for us. Give us a good service this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So where we started in this thing is we started over here in poor in spirit. Now to be poor in spirit, this is where everybody starts. This is you don't become a Christian until you become poor in spirit. This is spiritual bankruptcy. You understand that you have nothing to offer God. So spiritual poverty leads into the next portion which is blessed are those who mourn. Of course, the Bible's very clear that we are to mourn over our sin. So we are, to, we are spiritually bankrupt. We are to mourn um, over the only thing we have left after that, which is our sin. And then that leads us to meekness. See, this is a progression. Spiritual poverty leads us to mourning sin, and that leads us to meekness, and meekness makes us bow the knee to the Father. So, so far, so far in this series, this has just been about me. This has just been about the individual. This has been my poverty of spirit. This is about me mourning over sin. Yes, I am the mourn about the sin I see around me, but I can only deal with my sin. We talked about that last week. You deal with it with repentance. So, so far, this has just been about me. All right, but, but mourning, I also want you to see that each step, like I said, each step is progressively harder. Okay, so mourning over sin is harder than admitting your spiritual poverty. But then meekness is harder than mourning. Because up to this point, it's been just about us as the individual. Now we're going to bring other people into it. So now, see, meekness isn't just toward God. Meekness is toward man. Okay? So now this is even harder because now we're, we're bringing 
we're bringing other people into it. So what is meekness? Meekness is power under control. It's self-control. It's self-discipline. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Without meekness, you have no guard in your life. There's no fence in your life to keep you reined in. There's no discretion. Without meekness, there's nothing in our lives to check our pride. There's nothing in our lives to check our vanity. Without meekness, there's nothing in us to check us from pursuing after vain glory. See, without meekness, you don't have the reins of your life. Because when somebody comes at you and attacks you and frustrates you and, and, and throws insults at you, and when somebody abuses you, and when so, see, you have, if you don't have any meekness, you give them the reins of your life. You don't have the reins anymore. Without meekness, you give those reins to somebody else. Um, Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. You know, that verse makes a lot of people think of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was called Alexander the Great for a good reason because from the world standard, Alexander was pretty great. Alexander was a warrior and Alexander the Great was a conqueror. And Alexander the Great conquered the modern world of his day. He conquered the civilized world. And you understand today that the reason why your New Testament is in Greek is because of Alexander the Great. Because he conquered the world and said, now you're going to start learning Greek and speaking Greek and writing Greek. And that's the reason why your New Testament is in Greek. But he's such a mighty warrior and such a mighty conqueror. However, at one point in his life, his best lifelong friend in a drunken stupor rage, he put a spear right through the gut of his best friend. Because it's easier to storm a castle than it is to control your own passions. And it's easier to take over a country than it is to rule your own spirit. I want you to think about breaking a horse. Now, if you understand about how to break a horse, you get that wild horse in there and, and you've got to lead it around a while and you've got to work with it and you're going to get bucked off a couple times. Listen, Horses are strong. I remember one time I walked behind a horse and my cousin, just, just my older cousin, he ripped into me because I was riding behind it. It could have kicked, it, kicked the snot out of me and just I would have went flying that way if that horse would have decided to kick me that day. But he just explained to me how strong that horse really is. But when you break a horse and you put a bridle in it, where you can guide it, and you put a saddle on it where it will tolerate a master guiding it. That is a picture of power under control. That is the picture of meekness. It is a broken horse. In fact, there's a story in the late 1500s 
there was an area in India and the ruler of this area had a horse that needed to be broken. Well, nobody could break it. So he put forth a proclamation that anybody that can break this horse, I will give my entire kingdom to. And for years it stood and nobody ever broke the horse until this Englishman came in and he broke the horse. So as a result of that, this, this, this ruler over this land in India gave his kingdom to the guy who broke the horse. He inherited the kingdom. And now even today, his ancestors still own and, and are, his descendants are still own and are in the land over in India because of this. Look, meekness is power under control, but it's a little bit more than that. Meekness is power under control that's under God's control. It's power under control that's under God's control. So meekness is, is how the Word of God te- it teaches us to be. It teaches, the Word of God teaches us to be the, the citizens of this country, teaches us as Christians the trait that we should have is meekness. Now, how is the Word of God going to teach us meekness? Through the very manifestation of meekness himself, the Messiah. You see, the Messiah is the personification of this trait for us. He is the personification of meekness for us. He is to be our example in this. So we're going to look at the life of the Messiah this morning and look at the meekness that comes from his life. My first point this morning is meekness in the Messiah's message. Meekness in the Messiah's message. If you could this morning, I'm going to ask you to put yourself in the shoes of a Jew that lived during the day of Christ. You see, so you are there over in Israel and word has spread throughout the land and you're hearing whispers and you're hearing rumors of something going on. You see, your whole life you've been raised in the synagogues and you've went to, you've went to the synagogues and you have heard the teaching of the coming Messiah. You have heard the Pharisees sit on the seat of Moses as they open the Torah and as they open the prophets and read them to you. You've heard it all your life. And no, you didn't have a, a, a hard copy of the, word of, of the Word of God to carry around with you. But, in, but they made you in temple. They made you memorize the Bible. They made you memorize the Word of God. And that's how you carry the Word of God around with you. And so you have this inside of you. You've memorized scripture after scripture about the Messiah. John the Baptist has been in the wilderness nearby and he's been at the Jordan. You've even heard him went and speak a time or two and he's saying, get ready, he's coming. I'm the forerunner. He's, it's the time is now. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now you've heard word that John has said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. There's whispers and rumors going on about the Messiah's here. He's finally here. John said he's come. We're going to go listen to him speak. Why don't you come with us? 
you're near the north of Galilee, and so you go to the to where he's going to speak that day, and you go up a little mountain, you, you get up there, and you're so anxious to get there, and you're so anxious to hear this guy speak who claims to be the Messiah, because let me tell you, this couldn't come at a better time for you. The Roman oppression is so hard on you and your family, it is so hard to even put food on the table because Rome taxes you and they tax you and they tax you and the tax is so severe it's almost too much you can hardly afford to feed your own family man you can't wait for the Messiah to get here because the Messiah finally is going to cut off Roman oppression. He's finally going to free you and make you free from their oppression on your life. And maybe you think, man, he'll be like, he'll be like King David who killed, killed Goliath and, and, and conquered the Philistine oppressors. Maybe he'll be like Moses that led the children of Israel out of Egyptian oppression. Maybe he'll even be like Gideon who, who led us, took just a handful of soldiers and, and led Israel out of the oppression of the Midianites. Maybe the Messiah will be like that. He'll just need just a handful of soldiers to conquer Rome. That's all he'll need. So you get to the mount and you get to the place and you see him. And he's standing up there, and man, he's getting ready to speak. And you can't wait to hear him lay out his plan. You can't wait to hear this plan of how he's going to cast off Roman oppression, and it's finally going to be over. And all the stuff that you've been having to deal with your entire life, Rome is finally going to get what's coming to them. You can't wait to hear him open his mouth and lay out the battle plan and let you know what to expect in the days to come as Rome is cast off. And then he speaks and he opens his mouth. And one of the first statements he says is, blessed are the meek. The meek? Are you serious? The meek? This isn't the mess. This isn't the battle cry that I expected to hear. This isn't the, 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 this isn't the, the, the plan to, to cast off the Romans. This, this isn't what I wanted to hear. I wanted a battle plan. I wanted to know what to expect. And you're going to stand up here and preach, blessed are the meek. But he's not done. Go down to verse 39. In the same message, he says, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whosoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you. Do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man, you're expecting 
the Messiah to come in and conquer your enemies. And instead he says, love them. He says, pray for those who persecute you. Man, if, if you would have been a Jew in that day and hearing, expecting him to come in and cast off the Romans and Jesus get up there and preach that, it would have been a gut punch to you. Just a, right in the gut. This, Jesus is speaking specifically about Rome here. There was actually a law. There was a law in that day. That if a Roman soldier came up to you when you were a Jew and told you to carry his pack, you had no choice. You had to drop what you were doing, stop in the middle of your day, stop in your tracks. You had no other choice. You had no other recourse. You had to stop what you were doing pick up that Roman's pack and carry it. You had no choice. No matter how much it inconvenienced you, you were forced to do this. Now, the thing about it is, is you, you only had to do it for one mile. You did not have to go one step over a mile. When you got over a mile, you dropped that pack and you walked a mile back to where you were before and you went on about your day. You did not have to go over a, over a mile. But Jesus preached and he said, hey, I want you to go beyond. I want you to go beyond what they ask of you. And with the, the, maybe they didn't understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, take that, that attempt to manipulate you and turn it into a free act of love. It's what Jesus, what Jesus is saying. Go beyond what is required of you. Man, if somebody attacks you personally, they slap you on this cheek, turn around. Let them have the other one. Now forget about this being hard for the Jews. This is hard for us. This is hard for us to hear. But listen, Christ preached meekness. He said, you have heard it taught, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But did you know hate your enemies nowhere in the Old Testament Scripture? Is Jesus misquoting the Bible? No. What he's doing is he's quoting what was added to the law. Hate your enemy is something that the scribes and the Pharisees added to the law. It's not actually in the law. It was added. But Jesus said, look, you're supposed to love everybody. Even your enemy. Your enemy is your neighbor. You are supposed to love them. And what is the point? Respond in love and let God fight your battles. Respond in love and let God fight your battles. Look, this is important today because this is a characteristic of, of a citizen of the kingdom of God. This is how a Christian is supposed to live your life. You're supposed to live your life like this. But you see, none of these traits we're going to talk about are natural. None of them come naturally to us. All of these traits are supernatural. They're supernatural traits. You can't do them by yourself. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
Listen to verse 23. Gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Gentleness, self-control, that's meekness. Okay? These are the traits of the fruit of the Spirit, and you only have these traits if you are regenerated. If you are a child of God, can the Holy Spirit produce these in your life? 1 Peter 3, 4. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. He's saying, look, I made you new. I gave you new desires. It's time for you to show the hidden man. It's time for you to show the new desires that I have given to you. Let them show forth in your life. Work out your salvation that I've given to you. It is precious in my sight. It is precious in the sight of God when we are meek people. Ephesians 4.24 And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We are called through the Holy Spirit regeneration. We have received this new self. We're to put it on. Listen, do you think the world wants you to turn the other cheek? No. The world has mocked Christ for saying this for 2,000 years. Since the day he said it, the world's been mocking. Years ago, I was slipping through the channels and I stopped on this one channel and I guess it was a parody, it was a comedy thing, something they were trying to be funny, but you had this army coming against this other army and this one army stopped and said, hey, wait, we can't fight them. Jesus told us to turn the other cheek. And one guy said, won't they kill us? And the one other guy said, well, that's what Jesus told us to do. So they stopped and turned the other cheek and then they died. That is a misrepresentation of what Jesus is saying here. And I'll show you in a minute that being meek doesn't mean being a pushover. But I'm here to tell you today that they have mocked Christ. The world does not say, turn the other cheek. Do you think the world says, love your enemies? That's not what the world says. That's not natural. It's supernatural. John Bunyan said this in the Pilgrim's Progress. He that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. You see, when you're already low and you fall, it's not going to hurt that much. You see? Hebrews 10.34 For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyful seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. You see, a meek person does not worry about injury to themselves. A meek person does not worry about insult to themselves. A meek person does not worry about loss to themselves. A meek person does not worry about threats to themselves. They don't let it bother them. They don't. Ruling your spirit is meekness. We see this all throughout the message of the Messiah. But you know what? 
Oh, Jesus, that's hard. That's hard for me to do, Jesus. Ooh, you don't know me, Jesus. Ooh, I'll get after somebody. You don't know who you're talking to. Listen, uh, this is, this is, man, uh, you know how hard it's going to be for me to turn the other cheek when somebody insults me and, and how hard it's going to be for me to be quiet when somebody's attacking me, when the world says revenge and the world says retaliate and the world says speak up. That's going to be hard, Jesus. So what did Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty eight? 28? Listen to this. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You have a problem being meek? You have a problem being gentle and humble? Learn from me. I am gentle. I am humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When a young ox got old enough to work on the farm, the easiest way to train this young ox was to yoke this ox up with an older, more mature ox that knew the ropes. So what they would do is they would take this young ox and yoke it up together with an older, more mature one who would show this young ox how it would, they would not only share the burden, but it would show this young ox how to obey the commands. Then this young ox, the older ox would show the younger one when to start, when to stop, how hard to pull, when to turn left, when to turn right, how to do the job. So not only would the burden be shared, but then that young ox could be guided and directed and showed how to do the job. And this is what Jesus says, look, you can't be meek by yourself. You can't be gentle by yourself. But if you yoke up with me, I'll show you when to speak and I'll show you when to keep quiet. I'll show you when you should stand up and I'll show you when you should turn the other cheek. I'll show you when you should call somebody out and I'll show you when you should flip over the tables. Meekness is power under control. And it may be hard for us, but you see, when we yoke up with Christ, He is humble. He is gentle. And He shows us how to do it. All through the message that Jesus preached. He preached for his people, his children, his church to be a meek church. We are to be a meek and gentle people. We are. But not only was it part of his message. Number two, there's meekness in the Messiah's methods. So there was meekness in his message. Now we're going to see there's meekness in his methods. See, the, the world gives us this idea that meekness is weakness, and it isn't. I'm here to tell you today that, that one would think that Jesus would be a pushover teaching this way, but you would be wrong on that. You see, meekness is mightiness. And Jesus is going to show us, 
He showed us through the teaching. He told us through the teaching of his word. And now he's going to show us what meekness is. He's going to show us. And in, in, in Matthew 12, he, he, what he's doing is, is he's, uh, he calls out the Pharisees for the wrong teaching concerning the Sabbath. He calls them vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. There's another place in the Bible where he calls Herod a fox, which is an insult in that day. Mark 10 tells us that he scolds the disciples for not allowing little children to come to him. Matthew 16, he calls Peter Satan for trying to hinder his mission. And of course, in John 2, he flips over the money changers and chases them out of the temple with a whip. He chases them out of the house of God. Christian meekness is not cowardice. Meekness is not emotional flabbiness. Meekness is not a lack of conviction. Meekness is not timidity. Meekness is not the willingness to have peace at any cost. That is not what meekness is. Meekness is mightiness. It's anger under control. It's anger at the right time, for the right reason, for the right amount of time, pointed in the right direction. See, it's not that Jesus didn't have a temper. He did. He just never lost control of it. He never lost control of his temper. You see, Jesus was gentle and mild in his own cause. Remember, when it came to defending others, but when it came to defending his God, he wasn't a lamb, he was a lion when it came to defending God and others. Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Look, the new man in us, it gets angry. But you can get angry and not sin. It's called righteous anger. Another Bible term for it is righteous indignation. Righteous anger. It's anger at the right things for the right amount of time. God's like this. Joel 3.16, the Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth tremble, but the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold for the sons of Israel. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of the donkey. Yeah, he's the creator of the worlds. He spoke the worlds into existence, but yet... He made himself a little lower than the angels. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. He is the God that made himself man. He is the king that made himself a servant. You know, on the last evening of Jesus' life, he did something very astonishing for that day and time in which he lived. 
And on the last evening of Christ's life, he, he committed an act of gentleness, uh, an act of meekness that was probably the, the greatest act of submission that he had done up to that point in his life. Turn to John 13 for me. Let's read it together. John 13. John 13, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside His garments and taking a towel, He girded Himself. Then He poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now wash feet. Man, you know, today me and you might not understand the, the cultural reference here, but you have to understand that in the Bible days and the time in which Jesus lived, there were no paved roads. And everybody wore sandals. Everybody wore flip-flops. So can you imagine the dirt and the mire and the grime that would build up on somebody's feet? But here, there's another aspect to this that we need to remember. Is that these roads that were being used, there were a lot of oxen, cattle, horses, donkeys, camels going down that road, in addition to flocks of sheep, going to market, goats, domestic animals. So let's say there was a lot of product on the road. And this product would get mixed up with all the dirt and mud and goosh together. And that was the dirt that got on all over people's feet. In Rome they would have these luxurious bathhouses that the Romans would go to. So they would go to these bathhouses and come out squeaky clean, their body just glistening with the oils and the perfume that were put on them. But by the time they got home, their feet were stinking to high heaven. So the custom of the day would be to offer your guests an opportunity to wash their feet. You ever talk to somebody for a few minutes and then they offer you a breath mint and you're like, is it that bad? And so they here, have a breath mint. Well, this is kind of like that. Hey, let me give you an opportunity to wash your feet there. Get some of that product off. And so that was, was like, off, you would give them an opportunity to wash their feet. Now, in most households, you would provide the water, the towel, the basin, and let them wash their own feet. In the rich households, in the well-off-to-do that had servants, the servant did it. And it was a low man on the totem pole that did it. It was absolutely the lowest job that you could do because the feet were the smelliest, dirtiest part of the body. But yet Jesus humbled himself to do it. Go down to verse 14. If I then, the Lord, 
and the teacher wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. The disciples constantly bickered about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. They constantly bickered about who was going to sit in the throne next to Jesus. It's a very good possibility that that night at the Last Supper, although it's not recorded, they've done it before, it's a very good possibility that they argued about who was going to sit closest to Christ that night. And through this act of meek, gentle submission and humility, Jesus showed His disciples how they were supposed to treat each other. We're supposed to serve each other. Even if you are showing somebody, if somebody's showing you their worst, smelliest part of themselves, you are still supposed to serve them. Later that night, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I wilt, but as you will. And what Jesus was saying, Father God, I know what I have to do. If there's any other way to accomplish this goal than for me having to go through what I'm about to go through, I'll take that option. But Father, if the cross is the only way, then not my will, but your will. Do we trust God enough to leave the circumstances up to Him? Do we trust God enough to leave circumstances in His hands as opposed to trying to execute judgment and justice ourselves? It's hard. Do we, do we trust God enough to leave it up to Him? God, I trust You with the circumstances. I trust You with the consequences. I trust You with it all. The Messiah showed us meekness in His message. He showed us meekness in His methods. And then number three, He's going to show us meekness in His mortality. 1 Peter 2, and verse number 23, the Bible says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You see, Jesus is our example of somebody who was punished unjustly. See, he was reviled, but he did not revile in return. The priests accused him, and he didn't say a word. He was interrogated by Herod. He never said anything in his defense. They blindfolded him, and they would rear back and punch him just as 
hard as they could and then say, oh, prophesy to us who punched you. And he said nothing. They railed on him when he was on that cross. They mocked him. He was up there and they said, oh, you, you, you can tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Why don't you come on down off that cross then, king of the Jews? And he said nothing. He suffered. And the only thing he said in response is, says, Father, forgive them. Lay not this sin to their charge, for they know not what they do. He could have called down a legion of angels, but he didn't. You know why he said legion to Pilate? Because that was a Roman term. Pilate knew what that meant. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's what he did. See, he didn't slander. He didn't take retaliation. He didn't say anything in his defense. All he did was entrust himself to him who judges righteously. He said, God, they're attacking me. They're reviling me. I'm suffering. They're hurting me. But God, I leave it in your hands. I trust you to be my judge. I trust you to carry out the sentence. I am not the judge. I am not the executor. God, you are. Philippians 2.5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Meekness looks beyond circumstances. He was hurt. He did not retaliate. He was called names, but he did not utter one word of slander in return. He gave everything to him who judges righteously to the Father. You know, you know it says shall inherit the earth. Do you know when you inherit something? When somebody dies. When somebody dies, you inherit it. Guess what? Christ has died. And if you're his child, you're, you, have inherit, you have an inheritance. One day you will come into the fullness of your inheritance. Psalms 37, 11 says, But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Ephesians 2, 7, So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So this inheritance, when it says inherit the earth, what's it talking about? It's talking about the new earth. We're not going to inherit this old, broken, sin-filled world. We're going to inherit an earth where sin has never touched. But there's one more thing about this verse I want to show you. And it's the word they. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In the Greek, the word they is emphatic. And what that means is only they. Only they. Only the meek will inherit the earth. And sometimes we'll get some self-satisfied Christian who says, you know what? 
Uh, man, my, the, my lack of gentleness is just who I am. And people are going to have to get used to it. But you, my friend, at the very least are unrepentant and possibly not even a Christian at all. Because this, my friends, this is the trait. This is how a Christian acts. A Christian is meek. It doesn't come naturally. It's a supernatural trait. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And if you don't have this, you really need to check your salvation. You really do. Now, there be times in a Christian's life they backslide and get away from God that they mess up and do things they shouldn't do, act in a certain way they shouldn't act. It's time to repent, get back to this. Because Christians, we are meek. I have one question for everybody in here today. Here's the one question. I want you to think about this question. Are you strong enough to be gentle? A weak person will go off on somebody. Are you strong enough to be gentle today? Because the meek will inherit the earth.